0: Hallo. Light it on, levy pyörimän. Valsh triste. Nyt, Pony Mike.
1: Are you going
0: to stop me already?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, gosh darn it, if we ain't you know, co- coming out of the bushwalk just in time for Finnish Independence Day, which means that there's just one, one and only film to talk about in today's episode.
0: Which is Tuntematon Sotilas.
1: Again. And so it will also be the next year if we ever reach the next Independence Day. So, you know, enjoy, enjoy. This is the the authentic Finnish experience.
0: (laughs) Yeah. so one year ago we did the original film adaptation from 1955 by Edwin Laine. Analyzed that one and now we are here in the next installation 30 years later. 1985 is the year. I don't know. uh, (laughs) Let's see what we can find from from this edition. There is also the one from 2017, which was released in conjunction with the 2017 100th Independence Day of Finland.
1: So that will be the next years. Independence Day episodes, as you all know, most all, likely already,
0: and I think this would suit our purposes since we're going to change the format a little bit, which we can talk about at the end of the episode again, but we could do the twenty seventeen actual film version, then talk about the uh the shortened version for the Swedish market and the t v series
1: yeah, yeah, perhaps perhaps even though that would be like. A hell of a ton of watching The Unknown Soldier once again. But to all, all the international listeners, yeah, this truly is is the Finnish independence. It's nothing else except you know reminiscing the age-old war and watching The Unknown Soldier and talking about it until everybody's ears bleed.
0: Well, <coughs> Missia, tarviit oikein hyvää podcastia. Tässä siel What's your history with this film, Henrik?
1: Not that deep, unfortunately. I've seen the Malperik version, perhaps two times before, if I remember correctly. Um, usually, usually, this is kind of how it goes in Finland. Uh, we we have the original Edwin liner version, which everybody agrees is like the best film ever done and greatest Finnish film ever made and the only Finnish film ever should be made and the only Finnish film that has to be remade every 30 years etc 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 it's like an all-consuming shadow that you just can't escape from and then you have the Maulberg version and nobody talks about it
0: Yeah that is kind of the case that it hasn't been as loved by the Finnish audiences as the so-called original. My my experience with this mole version is that I've probably seen it the first time in the late 90s. I think it was me who recorded it on TV to VHS. And there was this promise from my father that this is going to be an epic film. So we should record it on. I'm pretty sure that I fell asleep when I was watching it for the first time. As it was airing so late as they always do. But I do remember this realistic and serious tone and that it somehow it was kind of fascinating, but also incredibly slow for an early teenager to watch. Why does this film exist?
1: Well that's a good question. Really, why why does why does 85 film exist? Uh perhaps the the easiest answer is that the, the writer of the book. Veina as far as I've understood, never really embraced Edwin Liner's version or filmatization of his work. Whereas Smallberg was a close friend of Linna and wanted to remake the, 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 the book kind of in, in a way how Linna meant it and i also wanted to take lina into the whole filmmaking process as lina was was at least in some capacity involved in making of of the 85 version so i i guess this is some type of course correction from edwin liners liners film or that's at least the intent here
0: yeah this was long-awaited reimagining of the Lina novel for new generation or that's how it was marketed anyway but there was this conscious need to make it different this time around and whereas Lina's novel and Linus' original film they had some humor here uh, molle's version has much less of it although it's it's not on any level without humor but molle wanted to emphasize the futility and the horrors of war pretty clearly. And perhaps smallest film also is tonally in line with the general 80s trend in also Hollywood blockbusters where the film started to get more realistic and darker but uh, it's it's kind of like this film has started to garner more appreciation only nowadays. At, at least that's my feeling which may not account to much but we've come to accept that the the dramatizing de- of all wars is okay, and even I'd say it's preferable.
1: Yeah, there there is like uh, there, there's a long history with with eighty five version, which is that absolutely nobody likes it, and it's almost being vilified by the fin- Finnish audiences. It's not played yearly in in Finnish TV unlike Edwin Leiner's version, which is tradition nowadays. Everything is Independence Day, you see Edwin Leiner's Unknown Soldier. And whenever the 1985 film is talked about, it, it usually is that Molberg fucked it up, and the film doesn't work, and this is bad, and that is bad, and it's a bad film, and why was it made? And oh my god, Edwin Liner's take is such of a masterpiece. And yeah, yeah, like like already co- covered. Um, Edwin Liner's film is seen as the best film ever done in Finland, and the nineteen eighty five version, on the other hand, it's it's the it's kind of the Vodemort of of the unknown soldier filmatizations. Just don't mention its name.
0: Yeah, which I never really quite understood because this may even also be kind of a more favorable version of the unknown for the Finnish defense forces and from their perspective when defense forces are not seen as collaborators in some kind of a obvious propaganda this runeburization, if you will of of the unknown and the history
1: yes and no yes and no um i can understand at least to a point the the kind of a reasoning behind this attitude towards the 1985 film there there's a there's a hell of a lot of things that you kind of have to understand about finnish mentality and the finnish mentality in relation to winter war and the whole legacy of that war that that finland carries if you are an international listener of the podcast and and you are wondering why, the, why what is the unknown and why the fuck are we talking about it? There, there's a hell of a lot of things that go, go into Edwin Liners' film and, and, the, and the whole legacy of, of the war that it had for Finland. And for the largest part, I do think that that's perhaps the main reason why, why there's such of a di- uh, shift in attitudes between these two films? I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that it's a, it's a good attitude to have or that it's fair or that, or that it's right. But I, I kind of, I can understand where that attitude perhaps comes from.
0: Yeah. It's quite ironic that the original novel is clearly very anti-war in its message. And doesn't r- glorify the events. But then we have the 1955 version in which Väinö Linna wanted the, the Sibelius's uh, Finlandia to be played in the background, to be used in the film as as, a, as an ironic statement. But in the 1955 <laughs> version, it's clearly it's something <laughs> it's, else.
1: It's, yeah, yeah. The, the irony really doesn't come through. <laughs> Like yeah. it it's it's patriotic to a fault. That's what, what Finlandia is in the original.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's it's funny. I like, uh, this book and the film were coming right about at the time when you would think that the Finns would like to kind of look back at the war and what is its legacy and and maybe th- this kind of a representation was bringing people solace. I understand it from the humor, humor perspective that I, I think it's nice. Some of that humor coming off from the Edwin Liner version as it's coming in the novel as well, but clearly it could be also the producer DJ Sarkes fault to an extent that it turned out to be this patriotic project.
1: I, w- I would say there's a lot of things perhaps going into that uh, some of these were already addressed when when we talk o- talk about Edwin liner's film last year but in case that you haven't listened to the episode or you simply have forgotten it's it's kind of a culmination of many things there, there are several factors in play behind the film the, one of them is that even though Benlina's book, For the longest time it has been regarded as one of the shining diamonds of finnish literature. And even though it did sell extremely well, like it, it selled hot potatoes. It, when it came out originally, it still was bashed by the critics. The critical reaction to Linda's novel was, it was hostile. It was downright hostile.
0: But it changed, the, it, uh, yeah. The, the, the people in general started to shift it.
1: Yeah, it, it changed in during the course of times, and of course, even back in the day when it came out, it it sold very well. It, it was a hot seller in in Finland. But there, there are also you you can see that the general attitude towards the book and what the book was saying was pretty damn condemning. The, the general attitude was that it's exactly the book that we don't need. That it, it tries to, to you know, gather up uh, shock value. Now now all the soldiers, is, they, are, they are just swearing and they are mean. Why is there, we don't need this type, type of depiction of, of a Finnish soldier. We need kind of the, the poster boy. And someone went even as far as to count all the curse words in, in, the, in the original book, to count them, do- count them down and use them as an example of why the book fails. And it failed into a point where it at one time was even censored. So waino now faced heavy opposition when his book came out. And then there is the, the whole general attitude that, well, we Finns still carry about the war, which most likely also played factor in, in Edwin Liner's film. And also the fact that Edwin Liner himself never saw the war. He never was took part in, in fighting. He was regarded as an artist, as someone who can actually, you know, do propagandistic material or, or otherwise help the, the home front. So to say. So he, he was given a free pass, he didn't have to have to go, go to the front during that time. So Edwin Line himself had no firsthand experience what the war was about. His, his experience when making the film get what is, a, is an outsider's perspective. And it's also perhaps a perspective that also has to redeem something. Because back in the day when the war was still going on, when Edwin Laine did not part- participate in the fighting, Edwin Laine himself was being taunt, uh, taunted and bullied for the fact that he didn't go into the front line. There was the famous famous Finnish rhyme that doesn't really trans- translate, but which went like "Lähte mies, lähte nainen, Vane lähde Edwin Laine. Yeah. So perhaps Edwin also felt that he really has to now do do favors to the book, do favors to the to the veterans, to the men who fought in the war, in in kind of a, some type of a attempt to redeem himself he, himself in the general in the eyes of the general public.
0: There was not only the opposition of the general public at first and the critics. There was also the opposition of the Defense Forces upper echelons for the 1955 version. The uh, Defense Forces didn't much support this project. Uh, Actually, not at all, if I got my marbles correctly. And 2017 version, then, this uh, was actually, as a working title, Rocca, one of the characters of the film. And it was supposed to be centralized on the character of Rocca, but the plans changed. The film is Clearly inspired by foreign films, now for maybe, maybe the first time in such of a clear fashion in this saga, let's say. <laughs> it reminds perhaps of the the thin red line. There is this sentimental, very aesthetic, maybe too aesthetic feel. Technically very pretty, maybe too pretty. And meticulously lit. Maybe losing some of that realism that we get in the 1985 why do you think, Henrik, It goes like this: that each version that comes out of it, they're gonna deduce that the book is so holy that there is no artistic deviation
1: allowed. Uh, well, that's that's a that's a tough question, actually. Yeah, yeah.
0: If I can say something, it it may be that we are trying to be too faithful to not make anyone feel bad about it because the book is such of a respected and, and released that maybe it's kind of like if you would interpret the bible and put it into a film you don't want to change it too much let's say that jesus didn't die on the cross jesus hopped off the cross and killed everybody with the bazooka that kind of thing yeah
1: well, yeah and actually actually since since you referenced Unknown to the Bible, it's it's actually a good point because when it comes to the filmatizations of, of the unknown, I kind of see 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 the, the biblical film adaptation thing happening, where the the source material really there really is not is in deviation. How how the films stack out the source material in in the name of scenes, like you mentioned, there there is no no. Bible film where Jesus hops down from the cross and neither is there a filmatization of of the unknown where the major events within the film, within the story would somehow radically change. What there however is between, between both of these cases is a shift in tone and different type of artistic approach tonally wise. In, in Bible films, you, you have, for example, well, take, take Passion of the Christ, for example. You you have the Willem Dafoe version from, was it 80s or early 90s, when that was made. And then you have the Mel Gibson version. And they are totally two very different things. They essentially try to tackle both the, the, the same thing, which is Jesus' crucifixion. But... That the first one is, is more of a general, kind of a more of a classical film. And then Mill Gibson's film is, is hour and a half of horrific torture and pain. So yeah. so same material, tonal difference. Same goes with, with The Unknown, where I, w- I would say that there is a major tonal difference, especially between, between Linus and Malberg's version. Line made kind of a adventure film that happens in the trenches. Maulberg was making a war film.
0: Yeah, I would say that none of these versions of the Tuntamaton have really gone a certain extra mile that would have been nice to see. Even the 2017 version, I think it would should have been the one that would have pushed the extra mile to maybe go a little bit more interesting in challenging the the authority by the end which happens but they, they don't like to go all the way and maybe some of those uh, territories that were charted but not completely for example how, how the women were uh, treated or uh, what were their role in the war it would have been more interesting to really get down to it and then you have scenes where one of the soldiers goes home. It's just kind of there, but it's. It's it's not something that you couldn't cut away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is true. At, at the same time, I do understand the adaptational problem that comes with, with the unknown. Because un, unknown. soldier. the the war hell of Finnish military. It, it's almost it, it's kind of like the the you know the Finnish version of Holy Trinity. Yeah. But when uh, Vener, book it's it's almost like a religious text in, in Finland. And and I, I, I don't know where to what to contrast the, the war itself against. but perhaps the Holy Ghost grander than God himself. So in in that sense, um, I I kind of can't understand why it's so goddamn hard to actually really try to deviate from Vainu's book when when you are making a film adaptation because you you automatically you risk the the essentially condemnation of the entire Finland. I mean, you made made that extremely cheap Black Mannerheim film, mm-hmm. and oh boy, what what what. Resulted from from that artistic experiment, it's it's still condemned in Finland. Even today, the Finnish press had a field day with that film. It's yeah. a, essentially it's it's in the list of cursed movies in in Finland, and all of it was was you know one dude. Essentially, but everything in Finland, in Finland, everything that ties down into that goddamn war, it's it's always so goddamn sacred. You you if yeah. if you if if you take a look at the the, the Winter War or the uh, or the Continuation War that followed, uh, and you even propose the question like, was was shooting Russian soldiers was it a bad thing? Is he's, he's killing during a wartime murder. If it's any other war, Finns automatically are like, yeah, yeah, you know, enemy soldier, enemy competent. He he is a person, his life does have some me- merit. War is a grey area. Even even in, in wartime, in in a, in a certain way, killing is murder even if you are a soldier, but, oh God help you if if it's the winter war, you know. Everybody goes apeshit if you just propose the question.
0: Well, if I may say, say so, we can get into this more in depth later, but if I may say so, at least the Finns have selected their target of pride in wars to winter war instead of the continuation war, so
1: good, good choice there. <clears throat> It is, it is, we kind of, we kind of want want to lump, lump the two wars in together. Like oh, we, we, we talk about the, the whole thing, the whole goddamn thing. But whenever we talk about it, we talk about it in the context of the winter war.
0: Yeah, I, this is something really interesting that was raised in some Ula interviews regarding Tuntematon Sotilas movies. The veterans, like the veterans' feelings, have we completely missed or have we completely not thought about the veterans when we are talking about the wars and which, in which kind of context and how are we talking about the wars? Like, what kind of normal person who, uh, okay, this is super controversial. Let me, yeah, this think about is this
1: maybe you'll get cancer in Finland. <laughs> Like I have to give up my citizenship following this this line of thought
0: um uh-huh. let's put some less ammunition into this thought but uh, all I'm saying like the general person who participated in the war as a soldier what do you think is their feeling towards the war and do they want the wars to be looked as something patriotic or something to cherish and think about and go back to every fucking Independence Day? Or is it more like, I had fucking shell shock level traumas, PTSD during this time. It was the most horrific time of my entire life and there is nothing sacred and great about killing other human beings. Can we just never, ever, ever talk about this uh, war again?
1: Well, to be the one who finally burns this podcast back up, Take note, Finns, <laughs> take note, Finns, uh, uh, after, after, this, after this you can you can all, all attack us, as, as most likely you will, or then we just don't have Finnish listeners, it's, it's either two, two cases, we will get crucified on Facebook and most likely also in Finnish streets, but then we don't have Finnish listeners, <laughs> this, this is truly the test for this podcast, but I have had a huge problem with the way how we kind of deal with the whole veteran situation. We have this this happy of sanctifying the, the veterans in Finland. We are, we are not the only ones who participate in this. This is also, for example, extremely American phenomena. I kind of believe that most of the countries that, that have gone through war, that have veterans, do this but e- even with that uh, that in mind i do think that finland kind of t- takes the whole sanctifying aspect and runs an extra mile with it then it f- figures out that it really likes running so it runs another mile then it hops on a train and goes five miles more just for the hell of it and i kind of feel that In the end, I understand why it was done, and I understand why we have a tendency to do this. Like there is this, there is this attitude that that we owe a debt of gratitude to the veterans, and I actually do agree with that notion. I do think that we do. Sure, I I I'm hell of a more happier to live in Finland than in modern day Russia. So when it comes to, to veterans, when it comes to my my grandparents who participated in war in some aspect, you know, I, I am grateful for all of that, but I still think that we kind of are creating a massive blind spot with the way how how we have to see the veterans in some kind of a holy light. And I think that we are doing a disservice here. The first thing that that I think resulted from all of this is that for the longest time, the veterans haven't been able, or were not able, they're almost all dead now. But for the longest time, they were not able to talk about their feelings, their emotions, and their traumas that resulted from the war. Yeah. Because you kind of couldn't just, couldn't talk about it. And there was some really heavy shit that went down with, with those wartime experiences. That there were feelings of shame. Some had everlasting nightmares that resulted from the shame that they felt since there was that one time when they were under a bombardment and they just couldn't muster up the courage to run from the trenches against the enemy fire what 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 the man next to him did it there's like there's this level of shame that goes on there there is a shell shock there's PTSD there, there's a there's a godless amount of trauma that those men had to suffer yeah and none of that really can be ever truly approached and dealt with because if if you have the guard like finnish soldier he cannot have any weaknesses he have to be the ever smiling anti Rocca who who gets wounded but yeah hey no biggie i may never walk again who knows where he gets get shot but you know it's it's all 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 final laughs it it kind of robs also the, the veterans the their the chance to be human to be three uh, three dimensional to be to be people who have strengths and, and weaknesses who who win and succeed and who also fail. We uh, the only thing that we have is, is a notion of a of a some kind of a super being who never wronged anyone who never hurt anyone and who 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 when he, when he killed in the war it was not really a killing he never shot a human being he only shot at the enemy when he came back home if there was any domestic violence if there was alcoholism if there was anything that resulted from the war well that never happened so you you don't have a three-dimensional person and the final disservice that happens basically happens to every generation following those men did, did you ever Karib, did you ever fought in the winter war be honest i no. didn't yeah yeah so we can never be as good as the veterans were your dad can never be as good as the veterans were mm-hmm. he he can he, you can, you can do you can do anything in your life you, you can find a cure to goddamn cancer but you will never be as good as the veterans were. And that basically is what what now is the fate of every single Finn. Everybody who, who sings the praises and wants to keep up the, the holy image of the veterans has to also deal with the fact that whatever he or she does in the course of his life, none of it will ever merit to anything, none of it will ever truly matter. In any significant way, because you will always be a lesser person when compared to the veterans.
0: A lesser man, essentially.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of an emasculating experience when you really think about it. You can have a wife, you can have a child, you can have a have a bang up business, you can be a millionaire. But your dick will always be smaller when you compare it to the veterans.
0: Absolutely. Talking about the the creator of the novel, writer of the novel, Väinö Linna, for a second, If in case you missed the original episode about the 1955 film. He was born in 1920, was originally a lumberjack, but then started writing. Basically, this book, Tuntematon Sotilas, is to tell some level about his experiences from the war. He participated in the continuation war from 1941 to 44, and fought on the eastern front as a squad leader, and so essentially The Unknown Soldier is his most known uh, successful book that he ever did, but he's also very much, inside Finland, known for. For example, uh, here underneath the North Star, which comprises of three books.
1: Yeah, and in in a sense, The Unknown is a sequel to, to here under the North Star, story-wise. Like in, in Unknown, you meet many of the same characters that you already met in, in the North Star, which takes place before the Unknown, like timeline-wise. Uh,
0: North Stars were released after Unknown Soldier,
1: though. It, it is, it is, it is, it is. It was, it was, but the, the story of, of the North star yeah, prequel.
0: It, yeah. And if our listeners are still after 30 minutes or so confused about what the hell this movie is actually all about. Okay. Let's get to it. This is, this is, this is about the continuation war and the continuation war is the lackluster sequel to the previous chapter of winter war. So, Winter War was an aggression against Finland, which was perpetrated by the Soviet Union under this so-called Casus Belli operation called Shelling of Mainila, Mainilen laukaukset po which Soviets attempted to frame as Finns attacking the USSR. And under this pretense, the USSR then started the war and tried to reestablish its influence in the entire finland
1: and there also goes the russian listener base goodbye yeah if if this if if this country gets invaded next week by russia (laughs) you know who to blame
0: maybe we get hacked by russia as a podcast yeah but um this soviet stranglehold on finland this this had been diminished because finland got its independence in 1917 when Russia was a little bit busy with other stuff. And so they got the independence, but that wouldn't do for the USSR. So Finland lost some of its territory in the war of uh, the winter war, but maintained its independence. But uh, of course, Finland had to agree to this unfavorable and uh, frankly dangerous peace terms from the perspective of Finnish defense. And there was this Molotov rip and pact between the USSR and Nazi Germany, which made kind of the Finland's political influence and allies to be fewer and fewer. And Finland was kind of crushed between all of these big powers. And Germany had taken over Norway, the USSR had taken over the Baltics and Finland couldn't even make a coalition with Sweden because both the Germany and the USSR disagreed on that. So so Finland's options were frankly quite limited here when it comes to securing the state from potential invasion for the foreseeable future. So Finland wanted their lost territory back, of course. There was this uh, Greater Finland ideology building in people's heads, but, but Finland refused to be the one to start the war for the Nazis, because Nazi Germany wanted to, you know, advance into the Russian territory anyway. But it seemed to be A-OK for Finland to start the hostilities from the Finnish side of the border. Only the attack would have to be started by the Nazis, but from Finnish soil. And, and, and later Finns would join once the Soviets would have started their attack already. So this, of course, is essentially the same thing as Finland starting the war. <laughs> because Finland allowed the entrance and the uh, stationing and the refueling of Nazi troops by uh, letting people enter, the Nazis enter from the northern Norway to Finland. And the Nazis then began the hostilities by bombing the Soviets in June
1: 1941. yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And Finland wanted to have its back its territory, as I said, and possibly additional Finnish-Ugri-speaking regions. But they didn't want to advance to Leningrad like the Nazis had wished. And of course, the like of the Nazis had changed here. And Finns also successfully were also pushed back by the Russians now back to the post-Winter War borders. So Finland, again, needed to renegotiate a peace deal with the Soviets and the terms, obviously, weren't favourable, you know, this time either, because, but somehow Finland were allowed to keep their sovereignty, Uh, but of course, Finns had to also enter into this period of the so-called Finlandization, but that's another story for another episode.
1: Yeah, in in many ways, Finland lost more in the Continuation War than it ever did in the Winter War. When, when it comes to Finland joining joining the Continuation War, well, this this is once again something where, where the kind of a Finnish version of, of history deviates from perhaps from all all the other versions there is. And and this this goes kind of with o- on the line with also the notion that Finland never lost anything; we just won. Yeah,
0: yeah, and,
1: and yeah, and then we had to give up territory because that's what happens when you win a war. Losers gain. It's <laughs> it's a goddamn mess. But but anyways, when it comes to continuous war, the, the general Finnish attitude is that Finland had no choice except take part in the war because we were in pact with with the Nazi Germany which we had to do in order to get, get troops and equipment.
0: Yeah and something trading. to note perhaps that we never were officially in coalition or partners of the Nazi Germany but well de facto they were on our land and using our land and equipment so essentially it was a, some we... sort of a coalition unwritten though
1: yeah we never signed a piece of paper.
0: yeah, but as you can see you we were between two kind of big powers, and I would say that it was inevitable. We just even if we wouldn't have had any kind of crater Finland or Karjala Takaisin mentality, Karelia back type of stuff, I think we sh- we still would have found ourselves in the continuation war situation
1: most likely yeah as in in some way or the other it's it's largely possible but the second part that perhaps international listeners need to understand the finnish line of thought here it that the plan never was that that the pesky little finland attacks the enormous soviet russia and just wins it in the war the 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 line of thought here more was that since, since the Nazis will attack from a different direction, it will A it will draw the the, the most most or, or the heaviest so, so so Soviet attention and also through this this enormous Nazi attack, Russia will be. kind of trapped between, between two frontiers. And the attitude was that Russia can't, can't handle a two-frontier war. That two, two frontiers is too much for Russia. And that's was g- g- kind of what drove Finland joining into the war. Or at least gave Finland the impression that we really actually can stand some kind of a chance here. Especially if if we limit our attack to a certain... Uh, to do a cer- certain reach that we don't go extra- exactly all the way and try to crush the entire Russia, <laughs> but if we, if it just you know advance enough and and the enormous Nazi war machine can can kind of deal with the rest, then we can actually kind of win something out of this.
0: Yeah. If we move on to the director, Ronnie Mulberry. As you mentioned, he knew Vaino Linna personally very well. And they lived together in the city of Tampere and were in frequent contact. Jörn Donner and Matti Kassila, also these directors, they had plans for Tuntematon filmatization, but this never materialized. So Jörn Donner was planning to make this film, but Donner left the project. Matti Kassila was running the project forward in the 70s. Mulberry got involved with him, and later it became only the Mulberry project. And Mulberry won the Jussi Award for his Unknown Soldier. Jussi is kind of the Finnish equivalent of the Oscar. Van Linna, the writer, had to oppose leaving at least one character out of the 1955 film. But Mulberry was happy to add a lot of the characters that were left out. The film from 1985 has been also compared... Sometimes to, in its feel, to come and see from LM Klimov, I wouldn't go that far, but most certainly both are dark in tone.
1: I, I kind of can see the comparison, not, not directly, not direct, directly, because there's like a huge difference between the two materials and also what they are actually trying to cover. But they both have this this haunting quality in them.
0: Both are anti-war.
1: Both are extremely anti-war.
0: Yeah. So in casting we had a lot of amateurs chosen to maybe better, better emphasize the youth of the film. It's like a valid choice because the many people who joined the continuation war were basically young adults. Uh, the preparation took about two years to location scout and find the right actors for the film. Something to point out is also that none of the actors are really introduced. I would say that, that this goes for all of the versions, but it re- really is, is like you can keep on guessing who these people are. and Even to this day, I don't really pay attention to all the names in connection to the characters. So it, just, it just flies past me like, okay, here's one person, that's that person again.
1: You perhaps you can can take notice of the most famous of, of Finnish actors, the, those who most got the career following the nineteen eighty five. Not necessarily even them. Like usually when I uh, when I I checked out when, when I watched it, when when I watched the film now, I I did notice Pirka Pekko for the first five minutes that he was in the film
0: playing Hietanen.
1: Yeah, playing know. and after those five minutes, he simply became know.
0: Yeah, PPP. Many of these actors were sent around to different parts of Finland to learn the dialect that they were supposed to have in the film. For example, PPP was sent to Southwest Finland, Varsinais-Suomi, for dialect coaching or just, you know, delving into that. And he, of course, has a long career in Finnish TV and films. Since he's such of a famous icon in Finland, I guess we can spend a moment on this known best for the Finnish audiences from the TV sketch shows, such as Boys," which is seen nowadays as politically very incorrect in parts nowadays. And uh, In 2019 he did publicly apologize for the depiction of the northern Sami people. The, these were done, these sketches in the 80s. He has also collaborated with Aki Kaurismäki, known for international people, for a man without a past. And today does politics in the Green Party. But yeah, so this version of the film. I feel that the acting is oftentimes too wooden and too written. There is especially this young lieutenant character. This is going against kind of the original, where the dialects are still playing a big role. There are these few of these characters that have this very written language. It doesn't sound very natural to me. And as I stated out in, in our documentation when we were writing to each other, I could swear that this this one character could be some inspiration for the Finnish TV show Pulkinen.
1: He he could be. Um, I have to confess I never got into Pulkinen. I avoided that show like a goddamn lake.
0: Let, let me tell you that uh, there's 10% that I feel that is golden and the rest is really forgettable.
1: Okay. Well, in in that case, I, I did exactly the right choice when I <clears throat> skipped it originally and never <laughs> have, have never watched it. When it comes to the, the whole dialogue, dialect thing with, with the film, you kind of are correct i must give you that much it's 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 it is it is kind of kind of wooden it's kind of hard to listen to it's it's kind of embarrassing at times but then again that's kind of how it just goes in in finnish finnish films with finnish finnish language like Finland is finnish is a language that i i would say rarely if ever works in in cinematic form there's just something in in our in our language that just kind of becomes extremely hokey
0: the problem is that we're trying to use this more like neutral form of finnish language apparently so that different people from different parts of finland would be pleased and would not feel maybe left out or that this would be again the Helsinki dialect all over the film that might throw some people out that could entirely be the case but it just makes it sound extremely unnatural so because of this I would just wish that that people would use their their own way of speaking in these movies to just leave it at that unless you're trying to be you know, playing somebody who is from a different part of Finland, of course.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really don't have a suggestion on how, how to fix the problem, but this is something that I do have noticed. And because of that, I can't really fault the film that harshly for the fact that the dialogue once again sounds wooden because doesn't it always.
0: To a degree, I would say that this has been already rectified in the new cinema of Finland yeah, it's, in the in the two thousands, but it's still. For example, we have been watching some Finnish films this year. We watched. Uh,
1: there will there be, will be spring. spring.
0: And I thought that was quite natural performance.
1: It, it was. It wasn't always. Yeah. I I kind of noticed. Yeah, yeah. That's that's Finnish dialogue once again. Like like to me the the best example of this. I haven't seen the film myself but I do have friends who went and saw the the latest biopic of Two Jansson called Way, And my friends' friends remarked that that was perhaps the first Finnish film for them where they didn't have to feel embarrassed by the dialogue. And as far as I, far as I've understood, it's also a fi- film that has been completely spoken in Swedish. So there you go. <laughs> Well, you know, that works. It, it, it works, and it tells you something about Finnish language. <laughs> like If the only way, way a Finnish audience member can avoid embarrassment when watching a Finnish film is that everybody is talking Swedish, well, God, God help us, we are fucked beyond relief.
0: Of course, there are directors that use it as artistic depiction that they want these characters to speak written language and sound wooden like Aki Kaurismäki loves to pull this off Has a artistic scape, but I don't understand for example this film's motivation to, to, to do this, where we have characters who already speak well normally. And then there is one guy who is like Tänään lähetin kirjeen äidille. Taidan ruveta opiskelemaan. Or something like that.
1: Yeah, something along the lines. That again, for me perhaps the, the easiest listening of Finnish dialogue I've ever faced is in the early the early Star Trek films that were made <laughs> by, by, by a group of fucking amateurs in the in the some some Asian region of Tumber. F- well, I I
0: and was not... I, I was traumatized by that film.
1: Awesome. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking I'm not talking about about the, the latest of them
0: I'm talking in, about in the, the beginning
1: yeah I'm not talking about that one oh. I'm, I'm talking about the the earlier ones which got released free on the internet and which never were actually released com- in commercial form
0: okay and we already discussed that uh, it seems that this book is so holy that the adaptations are kind of similar. I'm kind of pushing it, but in a way, it feels that the scenes are a copy paste from the liner version with this different tone. There is more to, more to pull from the novel, but it's not not utilized here, which it which is kind of weird. Like it seems that the the main or the most of the scenes have been just pulled from the 1955 version. And interestingly, this is exactly what happens in the 2017 version.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I was again. I'm not saying you are completely wrong. I, I do, but I do disagree with you a bit. I, I do feel that that, even though, even though the the general sentiment of your statement. Is, is factually correct. I do kind of feel that it's perhaps taking a bit too harsh and harsh of a reading and going too far with it. The, the main thing, the main difference between these, as, as already addressed, mostly is a tonal difference. Tonally, these are two extremely different films. And you certainly can kind of, kind of a chalk this up that well it's it's not new material. It's it's not really doing anything new with it. Like scene-wise. That that's. that much is true. But I do think that the tonal difference here is, is such of a is on a, such of a major scale that it kinda does make this a different film. And these scenes into different scenes. Yeah. And then there are also some noticeable differences between between the films. Also, also in terms of the material that you are being given. There are not necessarily like hell of a lot of new scenes. There, there, are, some, there are some new scenes, for example, and new characters in, in this film, like already mentioned. The, the Lottas and, and the woman at the front, they, they actually finally exist. They are there for extremely short, for a short time, and for a bit bit problematic reasons. Yes, they mostly are just be, being kind of a lost over by the high press of the military. But at least now the characters are there. When the the group reaches Petros- Petroskoy in in this version, well, Pe- Petroskoy is more of a place, and they kind of do more in Petroskoy now. Now there is all that all that looting and and drunken drunkenness things that were kind of alluded to in Edwin Liners version but it was su- just of a clean picture of it that you never actually saw any of it you you had you have that one scene with Papuska and that's essentially all you get and you can read that behind that scene, there's all this stuff happening, but you are never shown like you are being shown in in Maulberg's version. There's also, with Petroskoy, something that I feel is a major point of the film is is the scene where the the military pastor is purchasing stolen religious icons from one of the soldiers and there's also the hint that he may he doesn't do it in the scene but the way how the dialogue plays out there is a extremely strong hint that later on he will also purchase prostitutes and there's there's a lot of theme going on like in in these small moments there's a hell of a lot going on
0: was it in the 1955 version that they removed the 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 what do you call them the nuts at the marks of the soldier, with a
1: knife. Yep, yeah. That okay. that's that's in eighty uh, five. Likewise, is also the high brass. Once fin- Finns at the very end of the film start to retreat from from Russia, and head back home, there, there are a couple of scenes where where the military high brass now shows up, and starts to demand extremely strongly that. That the army is to turn back and continue its its offense, and continue continue fighting, uh, even to a point where they actually now now start to to execute the the, the retreating soldiers.
0: Yeah, you, you said that the the liner version would not address the lost war, but it, it, it the 1955 version does address it, to an extent, there is, uh, I believe, what is the final quote, is something along the lines of, well, we lost, but Finland came as a good second. Uh, but the, of course, if you take the patriotic lenses on, you could see this as uh, the soldier's sarcastic take on a hypothetical Soviet propaganda news, even. And I was always going to turn, what is this, the meaning of this quote?
1: Yeah, and even... Without that quote, or even with that quote, that the kind of attitude at the end of the film is is different, as already noted, and I think that that really fuels into exactly how much line addresses the point that we are retreating and the war is is lost. In in Malberg's version, that is is being addressed a couple of times extremely clearly. And then you also have the, the, the enormous scene where they, they are evading where, where they are where they are leaving the battle and just mm. starting to head home. You have all, all of this stuff going on in, in Molberg's film. In in Edwin Leiner's case, well it's it's kinda mentioned once in a in a moment where where the Finn's retreating moment it's, it's never actually said that now they are truly retreating. It's just they just continue the fighting on different locations and the audience kind of... You as the audience, you kind of have to put one and one together and, and form the conclusion that no, they are actually retreating at this point. And also, since the film ends with the triumphant Finlandia, Playing in the background, and you, you have those last scenes of the soldiers standing in line. You have a lot of lot of victorious patriotical imagery going on at the at the final, the closing shots of the film. Which all kinda also help, helps to murky the storage structure. The, the whole point that well actually the film or, or actually, actually the war was lost. You have, it's a situation where you have a film that, that showcases you that the war was lost while also playing triumphant music and through images tries to say that no, we actually won.
0: Honestly, the fact that we were told the version that we were told in the primary school, at least when we were in the primary school, the, the vision, the understanding that was given to us as students was that Finland won the wars ultimately which for I'm actually really angry this is very very extremely misleading and basically partly total propaganda
1: it it is it is and and once again I can in in a way I can understand why that sentiment exists it's because the, the war is the holy beast and anything that co- ties into the war is is so sanctified within finland and but i i do agree with you
0: the, this it's, is it's a version the, that is fed for young kids of course yeah. they will be parroting it around and then it's just some kind of like a father christmas realization that oh it wasn't like that
1: actually it is it is and then you have a whole bunch of adults who will get extremely violent if you even you know <laughs> try to question the official version of of this of the historical uh, historical record and even the even the official version is is kind of a mixed it's it's kind, it's, it's really complicated like at this point we have take, taken the brain gymnastic to a point where we can even we can't even agree on how the war ended, Mm. like we, we, like already mentioned in the previous time when we check out the war, we we have like different versions, how Finland won the war. It it was a strategic loss where we we lost, but we won or, or then it was, it was some kind of a defensive victory.
0: Yeah, of course what we won is to maintain our independence somehow. (laughs) So we can be pretty happy for that.
1: Yeah. And that's not a small feat given the circumstances. Like I'm, I don't mean anything that I say in in, in the way that that the the veterans didn't achieve anything or, or that. That that we we shouldn't kind of feel, we we shouldn't feel gratitude towards the veterans. I don't mean anything should. like that. Mm. Yeah, of course we should, but at the same same time, historical facts are historical facts, and as as the Amer- Americans really like to point to us, facts don't really care about your feelings.
0: Well, when it comes to this lack of certain changes in all of these three versions i would still say that we could go with the gay version next time of nope. Unknown Soldier. Nope. no no nope, no
1: no no most definitely no
0: like this is kind of the alpha male story still even though it's being critical of war it's still something that is that this kind of yeah the, these are the ultimate fins and as you said there will never be such alpha male fins ever so uh, wouldn't it be the time to kind of kind of break this this these social societal norms and turn it up and the whole goddamn thing and have gays and have have you know lesbian women on the field and fighting the russians something like that we had in the unknown Redux short film which didn't have gays but it, it could be funny
1: uh, first of all um, I, I'm not the biggest fan of, of, of unknown Redux I, I thought it kind of missed a lot of points there but you know if if that kind of a, if K if version of the unknown soldier already exists I can I can check it out. But that's as far as I will go, you know, with with all my trash talk about Finland and our our relation to the war and and the whole legacy of the veterans and with with all all of that, this is this is the moment where my conservatism is showing.
0: (laughs) We finally found it.
1: (laughs) This is this way too heretical for even for me.
0: Yeah, and uh, other problems that I have with the 1985 version is that that it's still dehumanizing the Russians, which isn't entirely new to war films in any way, but it has this kind of mystical supernatural flavor in all of these films. They don't show the Russians ever in the similar situations as Finns. They rarely have faces. Or they're rarely shown as having some kind of emotions on screen, doing the mundane things. It's this uh, spooky faceless monster behind the bushes. And that is a slight problem.
1: Yeah, that it does. That That it does. Uh, the film does do that. And I do agree that to a point it is a problem. How big of a problem... That on the other hand is is its own separate question. You are, you are of course correct. They, the film does never really depicts the enemy. And the few times when it does, there are like two of those moments. It it depicts the enemy either as a as a critique of, of the Soviets. Like there, there's that. That one time when they are uh, they are trying to get to Petroskoy, when they face off some group unnamed really un- unfazed group of enemy combatants and the Finns just comment that those men are starving and yeah. that that's about it. Essentially, that's the moment in time is a condemnation of of the Soviets. There there is a of course there's a truth behind that that condemnation the Soviet war machine was really a hell on earth and a terrifying thing on on many in many aspects but essentially that's the only way how how that group is being utilized later on there there are only two two other cases you have that one soldier which gets executed by was it Lehto? Yes who shoots the man in the back that's being that's now using the enemy combatant to demonize or, or show the falling of, of Leto. And then you have that one one dude who gets taken as a prisoner of war by Rocca, who then uses that dude yeah, as a as an ace in his sleeve when he has to face the charges of of dishonorable conduct within the army. Um,
0: so. The- yeah, the, the character of Pirka Petelius telling to the rookie youngster soldier something. This is the quote, more or less, like, what's it like to shoot a man? And, oh, is it, is it Rocca? No. It,
1: it, it, it's Rokka.
0: It's Rokka. And Rocca goes, I don't know, all I've shot were Ruskies. Aren't they human? No, they're not. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Don't you start bothering your conscience. At least leave that until it's all over. End yeah. quote.
1: Yeah, and uh, all of that is true. Like that's all the depiction you get for for the enemy in in uh, in the unknown, to a point that is that uh, that is a problem. Then again, the dehumanizing effect of the enemy is something that kind of is is uh, I would say it's a trope or cliche of the war movies. They they fucking do this every single time. I would say every war movie does this. They never present you the enemy in any clear way, in any clear image. If they do present to you uh, present the enemy to you, then it's in either in condemnation of the enemy, like here the starving so combatant scene, or then it's to show you the dark aspects of the so quote unquote heroes, like. To, to give you a few examples, there's, there's that 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 Brad Pitt tank battle vehicle Fury doesn't show you enemy combatants really at any point. It does show you enemy civilians, but those civilians then are being sh- only used to kind of a more dehumanized enemy combatants. Uh, Platoon, another wartime classic, uh, it never really shows you combatants. Shows you civilians, but mostly shows you civilians only to, to showcase you exactly how badly and how how crudely the Americans treated the the Viet Cong civilian population, to to showcase you rape and the sexual assault and unwarranted violence towards the civilians. So that's kind of that that's kind of the entire ballpark. When you, Where you play when you are dealing with war movies. It's just something that you kind of have to accept or then just, you know, not bother with, with war cinema.
0: Something that the Finnish audiences might not really pay that much attention to is the one that is not in the 55 version, but is here, is the drunken headquarters where one of the commanders goes Heil Hitler. And as a Finn has taken the situation that they are drunk and just knowing how Finns are, to me this is extremely ironic quote. But for somebody watching this with this narrator voice, for example, I saw that this film is not, of course, on YouTube with this, this Russian narrator voice on it. And just checking out those those comments from the Russians below that video, it was like <clears throat> they weren't directly commenting on this particular quote, but I can see how these kind of misunderstandings can can happen.
1: Yeah, and to, to explain the the Heil Hitler thing to the inter international audiences, there, there's something that kind of you you need to under kind of remember with that particular scene couple of things the first one is that once again Finland and Germany were allies and the, and part of the Finnish troops like the part of the higher-ups for example they did get training from the Nazi side so there was a cooperation mm-hmm. and with that cooperation some of the ideas did get transported into Finland and even if they didn't, there of course is is this sentiment of gratitude towards the the Nazi machine because once once again those people were trained there, they, they got precious training from the German troops. The second second kind of big thing here to to remember, and that this this is once again this is tricky and complex, but it is. But even though. Even though, as as far as I've understood, that the Finnish military leadership, they did know about the anti-Semitic feelings that the Germans had at the time, but they didn't know about the whole Holocaust thing. Mm. So, the Heil Hitler salute here, it's not in approval of the Holocaust. It comes from a character who didn't know and and exactly from a character a fictional character who didn't know about what was going on behind behind the nazi curtain didn't know about the camps may have known about certain sentiments against the jews may have known about that the, the jews are being seen as lesser people but didn't yet know exactly the extent where where that where that viewpoint from the nazis would actually tra- uh, carry
0: yeah it's very important to, to for whatever is worth for our listeners but anyway the finland wanted to remain as as non-partisan and independent and not make any coalitions officially as they didn't with nazi germany they just wanted at least most of Finns, including, I would say, in the leadership, were looking into taking back the territory that they lost in the Winter War and ended there. But I do feel that this, the way that this film is made, it kind of starts to lose whatever steam it has around the three-fourths mark. It's getting more choppy and quicker in succession and... Even maybe more random. There's events that are not related to each other. As it's kind of the entire film. But very strongly like this. The soldiers get drunk. And around these moments I'm starting to slightly tune out. This is a really, really long film. It's over three hours.
1: It is. It is. It, it is a long one. I, on my end, I didn't have that problem with Morbark's version. I... In in a certain way, I do kind of feel that this is perhaps more coherent than than Linus was. Yeah. The main yeah. The, the main major thing for me with this sentiment is is the fact that Malberg makes the 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 losing of the war part of the narrative more clear.
0: Yeah, the Linus of version, of course, is there are uh, there are a lot of problems there. At points it's more serious, at points it's funny, and at points it's going almost to this kind of a Rillumare situation where it's 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 starting to be so detached from reality that I don't know what to tell you.
1: It is and in in a way but perhaps it's that, that change of tone that happens between these two films but i also kind of kind of found that i was thinking more what goes on in certain scenes in malborg's version even though the scene itself is is very much the same like to give you an example there there there, there is this religious element that about, about the army that goes kinda in both films in, in, the, in the both films have the moment when the the soldiers are still on the parracks and the war hasn't yet started, like they, they are about to embark to the war, but they haven't done it yet. It's those those precious final few days that you have before you you have to start to travel into the front. And in both versions, there is the priest character who, who makes a prayer to God. And all the soldiers are outside, you know, on a, in a line, you know, following following as this happens. And there was like, in, in malberg's version, I, I paid more attention into what the priest was saying. Like, like give us strength to, to even greater sacrifices and, and begging that the same patriotism bless our whole nation and make it harmonious. And that's kind that, that stick to me a hell of a lot more in, in Maulbergs. I don't know if 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 this is somehow makes at least for me Maulberg's Malberg, take more coherent.
0: Yeah. But
1: somehow now I actually was more aware that 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 holy holy shit we have a priest who, who is who is praying that you know give us strength to have even more people killed. That's kind of a cool is.
0: It is. Speaking of killing people, there are other examples where the enemy is seen as having, well, rather ghoulish attacks as well. This evil and vile depiction of the enemy. We have the Medic Car attack, which is also in the 1955 version, where the Russians are killing all the people inside the Medic Car. there's perhaps a couple of this this situation but this stuck to me is it fair i don't know did they do that i don't know but something to think about it
1: yeah yeah Yeah. it's hard to say because oh of course well surprise surprise bad shit happens in war yeah i can very well believe that that type of attacks most likely did happen yeah. They they kind of are part of of warfare, even though they are war crimes. But you know, in in wars, war crimes get committed all the goddamn time. Nobody, no no no, nations army who has gone through a war ever has clean hands on the on this regard. Not even Finns, even though no matter how much we would like to believe.
0: The way that the film ends is commendable, tonally as well. They're we hear the radio in the background, explaining how it's it's saying something rather in a, in a positive tone about the war. I forgot what it exactly was, but that now the war has ended, and in the screen we have this horse carriage loaded with bodies of of Finnish Finnish soldiers, and the film ends as the last shot of those those dead people on the on the carriage and uh, i remember getting quite emotional about seeing that for the first time many 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 years ago that that works that
1: pose. it it does and it it kind of finally gives you the unknown soldier in this film because those two bodies were never characters in in the film and unlike lehto or rocca who most definitely are
0: not unknown and now that you mentioned it, when I was a kid maybe I said this in the previous episode I'm not sure but when I was a kid I didn't know what the concept of unknown soldier kind of is so i, I was I was I was watching these films and I was always looking for that moment when we would get to the point where the film would introduce a character that is some kind of unknown soldier maybe it's like a foreign agent invading the army and then nobody knows suddenly who this guy is or is working in some way undercover or I was coming up with these theories and then that never happened. I was quite confused.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And in a way that the whole title, The Unknown Soldier, it kind of ties down thematically also, at least in my opinion, what is the main main idea of the story and this is once again something that i kind of felt a closer connection with more in Molberg's version than in linus case (laughs) which is that it essentially it kind of is a faceless mass fighting for the few in elite like this is i i talked about platoon before or name dropped platoon before and the reason why why that film came came so clear to my mind when i was watching malberg's take is is that i felt that both films essentially dealt with the same topic which is that the poor man has to fight the rich man's wars in in here the the war where they where these young men are being sent to it's it's kind of a Maulberg paints it uh, out as a self-serving war. That there's kind of that, that remark or uh, that attitude from the, the high press of the military that we lost the winter war and that war was an embarrassment. So now there is that now there, there is this, this honor. Honor that we have to reclaim. And there's kind of a wen- oh, vengefulness towards the, the Russians in, in their, their desire to have the war. Like they remark that this time we have to destroy, destroy the Ruskies for once and for all, and that mm-hmm. we have to quote unquote, go all the way. And someone even makes the remark that, you know, if if you are in the military, military hierarchy as some kind of a lieutenant or, you know, other member of, of, of the, of the press you can actually gain a promotion if you have a war that's that's one nasty side of the war. for a soldier war is a great place to earn promotions you you can get them pretty easily but the ones who that most serve of course are are the leadership the higher ups those who don't have to go to the front line. They can, they can earn their promotions while somebody else does all that dirty ass fighting business and also risk life and limb. And this is something that that kind of is, is, is also the, the main point of the platoon from Oliver Stone, that wars are being fought by, by those who generally are invisible or faceless or, or, or unknown to the society. In here, it's being fought by farmers and, and factory workers. It's being fought by the poor. It's being fought by students. It's it's basically, it's the, those who you come across in everyday life and never pay any attention to are the ones who, in, in a wartime time, they, they are the ones who are asked to, to sacrifice the most Yeah, it's, it's, it's the lesser aspects of, of our everyday society that during a wartime sacrifice most of themselves and the ones who reap the benefits are those who can be in safe and sound from the, from the front line it can be the it, it is the the military pastors who can purchase stolen icons for their own personal collections in dirt cheap, like with some flour and sugar, which, which means a life to the men who are doing the filing, but to the man doing the purchasing, it's, it's fucking nothing. It's, it's, it's technically free. It's military rations that you are giving to them. So those are the ones who reap the benefits.
0: Did they bomb a horse to death in this film? It really looked way too realistic, I'm, I'm afraid.
1: I tried to look it up, and I never found a confirmation in any way what, what happened to the horse. It's, mm. as, as far as I can tell, it's done on one take, mm-hmm. which is precisely the reason why it, why it feels so uncomfortably real.
0: There's the one soldier on the right side but uh, it seems that there were no tricks involved in this shot. And besides, it's kind of handheld the most of the film, so that kind of limits your options in trick
1: shots as well. It, it, it does, it does. And, and, a lot, and since you mentioned that that one soldier, something to take note is that he's on the right side of the horse and the explosion comes from the left side of, ho- side of the horse. Mm-hmm. So in case that they actually did... Use a live explosive in that moment the, the soldier the ac- or the actor playing the soldier can it can, can take relative refuge from the, from the notion that the horse is going to take most of the blast. indeed <clears throat>
0: Well could be noted as well that there might be some more horse killing action in another version there saw uh, the TV version of this film which I haven't seen, which I haven't been able to look up since it's also not available in the Ule archives. And that version is 220 minutes, if I remember correctly, versus the normal version, which is 180 something. So yeah, please tell us if you, if you find it.
1: Yeah, I also would be really tempted to to see, see, see the, the full version.
0: What was your favorite performance, Henrik?
1: In in my my case, that would have to go to I guess to Pirkapetkoperios. Yeah, I I don't have any fancy reasoning behind behind my pick. It's like I I do think that that all the performances are are really strong here, and I I don't have like. Like that, that typical, typical, the problem that you often face with with what essentially are remakes. Yeah. That the original was so much better and the new one sucks ass. Mm. N- n- not nothing like that. Yeah, I I enjoyed all of the all, all of the performances. So, but but somehow for some reason, when when I think about the film, Przeczek Petelius is the one. Well, yeah. First comes to my mind.
0: That is true. For me, it's the shot uh, in the kind of starting points of the film when they are told that they need to relocate, and then they're f- walking uh, on on between some fields on some country road, and that's kind of remem- remember memorable when they're talking about the oh, well, vagina in that scene. But oh, personally, I don't really know. I guess it could be kind of controversial tonight, or. I, but I did, did really like this Pony my Russian that later shoots from behind. You could see the terror in those eyes, and at least it was finally an actual person who seemed to be speaking native Russian, which wasn't <laughs> exactly the case in the fifty-five.
1: No, and it's it's not the case in eighty-five either. That at one moment when you get at uh, at uh, the one. Another moment where you actually get some some dialogue from the enemy combatants. It turns out that it technically is a Russian Finn, and he speaks oh. in Finnish.
0: So this that left left to executed or?
1: No, no, it's it's the starving guy, oh. who 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 tells them that yeah they really haven't had anything to eat. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, the one who the one dude who left us shoots in the back is is the only 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 Russian competent that actually says a word of a word in Russia.
0: Yeah, I'm sure the filming crew weren't exactly thinking it in the ways of let's cross the eastern border, let's let's uh, scout for some actors in Saint Petersburg and introduce this film and what it's all about. Like, would you like to play this character who gets a bullet in the head from behind?
1: No, and you also have, would have to then deal with the whole whole sub, subtitling thing. If you, if you would have given them any any lines that would have had like a noticeable plot meaning,
0: yeah. Well, favorite quote.
1: Well, on on my end, on on my end, and and it has to be, it it has to be this quote. There's just no other options.
0: That's Seulas Ellena a a not this year
1: not this year it it once again it it it, it goes to pirkka petelius it goes to uroho hietanen when when they are talking about cigarettes and here remarks that tastes like a fact, sir fact tastes so like a fact. that's something that you really can't say to uh, these days anymore you you have to address them as, as homosexuals and people politically <laughs> correct about it
0: well, I suppose that word was more popular back in the day, yeah.
1: <laughs> Essentially, it's, it's a transla- uh, translation from the Finnish word "kesu," which means cigarette.
0: Yeah. Well, I would go with this when these two guys uh, entered the story and entered the leadership tent, unfortunately, as unknown soldier has never been like a extremely close to my heart, I have to say, I, I guess I just am unable to remember these names of the characters, but it goes like this. Jahas, No antoivat natsat en kun en ole kenellekään tehnyt. And roughly it translates to, alright, you're a sergeant. Yes, I am. They gave me my stripes in the winter war. I don't know what for. I never caused anyone any harm.
1: Yeah this is actually a surprisingly quotable movie like there, there's a lot of great lines to, to a point where actually picking your one favorite gets tricky. I also um, love, love the, the line I don't remember what was it was it Lahten? yeah it was it was it was a who remarks that it's not not, not a question of petrol shortage when the press drives around with their horse.
0: I also like the scene where one of the soldiers is saying to Pirka-Pekka Petelius' character that, well, how would there be room for something to go wrong in your head? Something like that. And they laugh at the joke. And this joke and this quote that I just uttered, I think it doesn't translate too well into English and I'm not sure if they are even intelligible in the subtitles.
1: The, the subtitles are professionally made for commercial use, and I think that they are pretty fucking horrible. <laughs> to, to be completely honest, like there's a there's, there's a, so much that they they get wrong, and that kind of goes to show you that, that Finnish language is is kind of a nightmare to translate.
0: Yeah, that and yeah, I just don't think that really works in, in English,
1: even if you tried. No, no. There's something that you completely lose in translation.
0: Three adjectives to, to describe Tontematon.
1: To me, it's, it's real, it's haunting and it's pacifistic.
0: Yeah, realistic and tonally flat and a bit overlong. I would have to say. But then it's the question of, would you recommend the film,
1: Henrik? I, on my end, absolutely would. I I, I guess it's already co- completely clear. I don't have half of the problems you have with the film. Even though I, I do acknowledge the shortcomings that, that you ra- raised up here today, I still, I, I, I don't feel them at, at the same level as you do. Mm. And I'm, I'm not saying it's it's better than Linus version. I, I think that the two films, they are so completely different beasts that I, I even refuse to say or answer the question, which, which one of these two takes is better. But I think that, that Malberg's version is, is one of the greats of, of, Finnish filmmaking. It it does have it does have thoughts, it does have shortcomings. There there's a lot of little things that you can point out and say that, that that's something that the that, that film fucks up. But I think that tonally it's such, such, such of a heavy film. And there, there's a tonal clarity, in my opinion, in to, to Malberg's film. That I I do think that this is a worthy adaptation of of Linda's novel, and I also feel, since you mentioned the handheld camera here,
0: yeah, shaky cam before shaky cam was a
1: thing, <laughs> yeah, and I think that this is this is one of the few this this is one of the films that that has best shaky cam, not not necessary. not necessary in a, in a way how how it technically works. Like, like this is this is not your Paul, Paul Greencast feature but in a way how it actually achieves that documentary effect like and this is a mm. this is a fictional film that really at times honest to God feels like a documentary and something yeah. that that feeds into it is that it does use the documentaristic la- film language it, it it takes those those quiet close-ups into individual little details that tell you so much like a hand you know groping someone's ass or, or a zoom into someone's face it it does those it it does utilize both the, the dramatic fictional language of the film and film language of the documentaries and even though even though yeah 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 you always you always remember you always know that this is a, this, this is a fictional film, it's based on Vanelina's book, you, you never actually, you, you don't get tricked, you don't believe you are watching a documentary, but I, for one, I did feel at times that I was watching a documentary, and I think that really is is something, like, I, I don't exactly know how Maulberg was able to create such of a strong effect, but that is one hell of an effect. So, on my end, yeah, a wholehearted recommendation for the 1985 film. It, 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 has been, it has been crucified and villainized and demonized in the public Finnish discourse. And I think a goddamn crime has happened. You know, in the way in, in, in the way how, how how Maulberg's film has been treated. So please, please, by all regards. Check it out, seriously. Check out eighteen ninety-five version. If if nothing else, you know, just just wait for the Independence Day, and instead of you know watching the Edwin Linus film for the fiftieth fucking time, you know, I, mm. I don't know, rent it somewhere for dirt cheap and just see it.
0: Yeah, coming back to the shaky cam, there are some people who are actually complaining about the shaky cam, and I would say literally or. Clearly, the only place where you get proper shaky cam is the swamp crossing. And even that, I think it feels good and you kind of are thinking of yourself in the army. No, I'm not going to rant about my army experiences for 5,000 hours, but uh, you can remember when you're running across some places and you feel the pulse racing and you hear the gunshots and There is this chaotic visuals that you get during that, and I think it's great. I have heard that the director Molle is a bit of an authoritarian and very demanding figure who might get slightly carried away with his, carried away perhaps in what he's trying to accomplish and making it feel too artistic. I don't know about that. I will not crucify this film tonight, it takes a realistic approach but I feel that it might sometimes lose some of that cinematicness because of it, because the goal is to be kind of flat tonally on purpose and I, I I think it's a noble and great idea to show the war like this as it could have really been without sugarcoating it, kind of making it well Flat or in a way boring, as as it should be. But, but then it takes it even and though though even though the film has color, the story kinda of lacks color in a way. It's monotonous. It is. And the separate scenes don't really provide any cohesive narrative, which I think is the, the curse and the blessing of all the versions stemming back from, from the novel, of course. But, I'm not sure if the film has to be this flat on screen uh, lacking also almost all of the humor. There are some points where it has humor but but, uh, the book had maybe a certain emphasis on the humor. Granted maybe the most parts of the humor that you get is in the first ten pages or so. But um, maybe I'm asking too much from a 1985 version but it's not very brave to use all that anti-war material in that book, and the 2017 version fares at least slightly better, but still not quite there. I, I recommend this film and uh, all of the versions. In fact, as I've, I have said, and they all the, all the versions they have their own unique flaws, but uh, maybe on this rewatch, this this entry might be the least impressive of the three, if you will, then again these are quite different beasts altogether, but I do like the film I do like the film it's hard to choose between them
1: it is it's it's almost impossible and i i like like that I refuse to do that today. I'm, I'm not even gonna try because no. the, the tones as, as mentioned 5 million times already the tones are so completely different between the two be, between the films especially between Malberg and and Laine. like l- I, as mentioned already Laine in my opinion was making an adventure film and Malberg is, mm-hmm. is making a war movie and because of that, they both have, they have their individual identities. And you kind of can't for the film for that. You can't take two completely different identities and say that, in, in, at least in my opinion, you can not clearly take two di- completely different identities and just say that, well, this identity is better than this one, and you can't compare them back to back. And this is per- perhaps where, well, when, when we Eventually, next year, we are going to reach, once again, The Unknown shows <laughs> And it's going to be a Aku Lohimiya's version of, of the material. I think that this might be the biggest question that we have to face next year. Yeah. Which, which version, in the end, perhaps takes the cake the most? And also, since we now we have been kind of on Safe Waters, they are bo- both films, Line and Maulberg, they both have had, they- their identities have been on opposite sides. A is bound to land somewhere between the two, since extremities have now been covered. So it has, So the second big, big question that we have to ask next year from ourselves is, what is the identity of, of a version? Is it, is it war film? Is it, is it an upgrade from Wahlberg or does it find its own special place between these two films?
0: I would say that it's still trying to be a bit too careful for its own good, but like stated, like stated, all of them bring something the, the first one is forgiving a lot of things because it was the first one and it has automatically this nostalgic feeling because it's black and white and it's really old film and it's made 10 years after the war so and also this many of the actors were in the actual in 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 the actual war so maybe that channels certain realisticity in parts there certain mood anyway but it's kind of this adventure not realistic Film. Then you have this realistic film in the middle, 2017 version. If you would like to simplify, once again, it's this kind of a foreign-inspired film with the the slow motions and what do you call this? This, this effect when uh, people start to get deaf for a moment. It's playing playing with that kind of a cinematic modern la- language. It and it's a very pretty film. It's trying to appease, of course, also the international audiences. But as stated by many, this is still a kind of a niche part of kind of the Second World War, as in I don't know how many people are really willing to see this outside of Finland.
1: Most and likely, nobody.
0: I, yeah, and as I understand it, there there is some a bit different structuring in the beginning of the film to, to make it kind of more obvious or more clear to the, the foreign audiences in in the foreign markets of the of the version. That what the hell is going on in this film?
1: Yeah. I I do still maintain, with, with you know, with all all the criticism laid out at the line here today, I, I'm not faulting any, any version of the unknown. And I do think that every version does have a kind of a mission statement. They all have a reason to exist, and they all have a purpose. And especially since, since, well, Line has been brought up in the discussion today quite a lot, and also in, in critical light. And we have made the remarks that, that Line made the film knowingly unrealistic, and it's not really a war film. I, I still I still do side. With Edwin Leine in his in his artistic decisions when it comes to. when it comes to 55 version. I, I do think that back in the day when that film was done, it, it may have been the film that, that, that Finland and, and the Finnish veterans needed. At the end yeah, of the day.
0: Maybe. Yeah. It served a purpose and all of these films are very much, as I've stated, a product of their times. So it's interesting watch in also that sense.
1: Yeah. But that was a hell of a mellow discussion to be had. Uh, was it? it? It kind of was. Like I, I don't know how how it how it sounded in the, sounds in the final audio, but goddamn, did it feel like we are in a grave here.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, I I hmm. guess
1: I I guess we haven't been this serious since since, apocalypse now, <laughs> <laughs> which Whoa. was uh, uh, also like I I feel kind of bad <laughs> just existing. C- c- <laughs> case of case of the episodes.
0: Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, well, generally, I don't, I'm not worried about any of the content of this podcast anymore. It seems that. <laughs> We can talk about female rape, we can talk about horrific war crimes in Serbia or Bosnia, we can talk about fucking anything here, and but nobody will bat an eye. So uh, we have yeah, been uh, we have been in such of a territory here that if a Finn would listen to it with a very patriotic heart then uh, Well, we could get some listeners. (laughs) Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe we have to like denounce God in the next episode. (laughs) Maybe maybe that would give give us some ears.
0: What's going to be the tagline headline for this episode? I don't even
1: know. We'll figure it out. But yes somehow somehow for some reason talking about the 1985 version now now speaking as a podcast host it, it was kind of a harder yeah and, and more draining experience than talking about edwin liners film
0: yeah somehow we didn't go to these waters back then but i guess that's fitting with the
1: 85 yeah now i i don't know have we grown up as persons Mm, or or is is it it thanks to more but but somehow somehow today it it felt heavier
0: i think we have still grown during this podcast i I would certainly hope so and i i i think even though you especially have delved into so many directions of of cinema before we even started this goddamn podcast I think that both of us have still, even though we have studied also these subjects to an extent, I still think that this has given us a lot of new ways to to look at cinema. And I think we have still learned a hell of a lot doing this.
1: We have. And surprisingly, yeah, doing a film podcast is an experience where you actually have to learn constantly quite a lot.
0: All right, so... And as some of our listeners might not yet have heard about it, we are going to change the format in the near future of this podcast a bit. We have had some listener feedback that apparently there could be some other ways to do a film podcast. I don't know.
1: Yeah, or, or cease doing film podcast altogether. Yeah. But rest assured, we have we have paid attention to your feedback,
0: and we have paid attention to our own well-being. And since we have done this format this way already for more or less the entire run since the beginning, this 120-something episode and... Over uh,
1: two years.
0: Yeah. We were just thinking that, you know, since we are doing this also with such of a pace and with the same format that we could kind of mix it up a little bit.
1: Yeah, even the flick lab is kind of getting tired of the flick lab.
0: (laughs) So, starting next year, we will start to cover more films in one singular episode. But it's going to be a a more broad look at, for example, a particular franchise, or particular kinds of films, particular period of films, particular country and its films. So, we would like to discuss, for example the Jurassic parks in one singular episodes, the sequels, we could talk about Hellraiser four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in one episode because we don't want to make six episodes of all of them separately because uh, we don't want to kill ourselves with boredom and our listeners.
1: Yep, They're just, there are like films that, that are interesting to talk about, but where you don't get enough material for for an entire episode. There are films that are interesting to talk about in juxtapose to to the franchise itself or as a part of a long-running franchise. But once again, who as individual film is is not something that you really want to think about that much.
0: And as some of our listeners might have noticed already, we have started to take away the scene by scene part of our podcast and replace it with more of like a general discussion analysis around the film and why it became what it came and that kind of thing. So we have kind of given it up because frankly we want to do something else. So this is kind of the first effect that you have already seen.
1: Yeah, there, there has been actually there has been quite a lot of subtle changes in, in the podcast, as, as time has gone by, yeah, like, like when, we, when we started, we were really nitpicky and we became more less about individual moments and more about general themes. Then we became more kind of a deep in thought, perhaps more the correct word would be more meditative in mm-hmm. our discussion. And now we have, you know, lost a scene by scene and next year. Yeah. It it will be more, more drastic changes will happen.
0: And the episodes will start to come up every second week biweekly. As this kind of episode need more of our time and frankly, we want to spend our time a little bit differently outside of the lab. So that will change and uh, who knows what we will do with the actual time limits or if there will be any time limit I would say that probably it's so case by case in such episodes that we're gonna do that it could be better to not think about any time limits but this is still kind of up in the air I
1: guess Yeah there, there's still a lot of question marks hanging in the air even for us and sub, and a lot of things that I guess we kind of have to figure out as we as we do it, with the once again, with the new format.
0: As usual, we're taking our listeners as hostage on the ride of test runs. But hey, Henrik, Hyvä <laughs> Itzenäisyyspäivä, Happy Independence Day, once again. Hyvä
1: <laughs> Itzenäisyyspäivä.
0: At this point, for this week, would it be time to give our lab coats to the Finnish army to use as snow camouflage?
1: Oh, I guess so, because since it's the... Independence Day is coming, I guess I have to go to Gander shopping so that I can spend the Independence Day itself entirely at the graves, as you do in Finland.
0: (laughs) Well, something more a little bit happily toned, I hope, next week. What is our next week's film? I suppose I'm asking you you, this question every time, even though you don't know the answer, do you? (laughs) well we've been plotting with uh, ali pits from russia files unite film podcast that we would he would do a guest appearance next week with us and the film that he suggested for us to watch is uh, was again an lm klimov feature but he was almost rather insisting that we should really also cover this one even with the full knowledge that we have already covered one film from this director come and see before so this film would be welcome. No trespassing. Are you up to it?
1: Uh, seeing how we are gonna have a hopefully have a guest in that episode, I guess I have to. Like this is the moment when the guest is holding me as a hostage.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. this is a comedy from Russia. So changing gears, this will be the second last of our podcast done with this traditional format and then we will take a Christmas and New Year's break after these two still upcoming episodes but for now, make no mistake see you next week oh, and even then Laittanut mun tuntematon sotilas Tvd. Se oli tässä aamulla. Minun tuntematon sotilas Tvd. Ot vieni Siellä kotona pidät jotain ja salaa. Naisten pikkupyykkiä peseskelet. Niin, rotta.
1: Joskus olo voi olla meillä kaikilla kun Rokalla
0: tuntemattomasta sotilaasta. Mutta nyt pistetään Elvistä ässön siitä.
1: Uh! Kato sä mitä Karl Gustaf Emil Mannerheim?